Welcome to the Wet Podcast, episode number 37. Welcome to the Writing, Education, and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Marshall, and today I have with me Brian Cohen. Brian is the author, most recently, of the Ted Saves the World Young Adult Book Series. It's a very good read. I highly recommend it, and uh, Brian will talk about it during the podcast. He'll talk about his process. He'll talk about the novel itself, as well as a lot of the other things that he's up to. Previous to Ted Saves the World, he published... uh, Writing prompts for all different grade levels. Uh, he has a YouTube channel where he does short comedy videos, uh, although that's been on hi- hiatus for a little while, but I will link to that in the show notes. We don't talk about this in the interview, but he was on uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire once. He also co-hosts two podcasts, The Sell More Book Show, which is about uh, book marketing and, and current news in the in the book marketing world, and The Split, which is about young adult novels. They read a novel, a young adult novel every week and talk about it. He also runs a description writing business where he will write descriptions for uh, for fiction and nonfiction writers. He's a busy, busy guy. I'm very happy that he was gracious enough to give me almost an hour of his time. And uh, it's a really good interview. I I have to say, just listing his accomplishments, even the accomplishments over the last year or two, make me feel like a total slacker. I really have to, really have to step it up a notch here. I think so. It's very inspirational. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can find show notes for this at ericmarshall.net/wet. That's Eric with a K, Marshall with two L's. net slash wet W E T. That stands for Writing Education and Technology. And let's get into the interview. Episode number 37. Today I have with me Brian Cohen of uh, the Ted Saves the World series. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm good, Eric. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how to how to introduce you because you're the author of the Ted Saves the World series. You mm-hmm. are the co-host of the Sell More Book Show podcast. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. a YouTube presence, um, mm-hmm. short, funny videos. Uh, you, I don't know. There's all kinds of ways to describe. You have a business doing uh, book, book descriptions, descriptions, book descriptions, which I know is, is fairly new. Uh, you're just kind of a superstar <laughs> in a way. I don't know how. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't put it that way myself, but <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I am wondering how you find so many hours in the day to do, to do everything that you do. Mm. You know what I mean? You are. Yeah. Ugh. Well, it is it it is not easy to find time for everything. I mean, the YouTube stuff, I I'd been doing that a, a while back, the Brian Cohen show and started that at the beginning of 2015 and was trying to do it every day and actually found that I couldn't fit that in and everything else. So I ended up scaling that back. Yeah. But the the I think that uh, the trick to a lot of this is is really having a good system set up because with the Selmore Book Show it we always record at the same time we always have the same uh, way that that I hunt for the news and so over time if you have the same system you you usually get better at it over time one would hope at least yeah uh having systems in place it sounds like is uh is part of it right the same thing you know that on a on Tuesday or whatever you're doing the sell more book show exactly yeah it's not you're not trying to schedule and 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 do things differently every week yeah yeah, yeah. cuz it i mean you need regularity to just understand yourself better because you know like for me at about 2 p.m. my energy dives off a cliff and so I need to have things that force me to work, like uh, for Best Page Forward, my book description service, I schedule my chats from 2 p.m. on because I know, well, I'm going to be 
I get excited talking to people, so I know that I'm going to have more energy for that. But if I said, okay, I'm actually going to write five descriptions at 2 p.m. onward, I know I'm not going to do it because I'm out of energy. I need something to, to pump me up. So that's why I schedule most of my writing for the morning and socially things or meetings, ideally in the afternoons. And that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and like you said, it's about knowing yourself, knowing that you get energized talking to people, and mm-hmm. that's not a time that you're better with uh, solitary stuff like writing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so you do, and which is why we're talking in the afternoon. Yes, <laughs> right. Yep, that is true. <laughs> All right, <laughs> makes sense. So, do you like many writers do your writing in the morning? Yeah, I go to a writer's co-op space in the morning where it's basically a big quiet library type space with desks and I try to that's where I try to do my fiction. I do better when I set my I, I I'm working on currently the fifth book in the Ted Saves the World series, which is a young adult sci-fi fantasy series, and I'm working on the fifth book. And I have also just started Best Page Forward, which has been taking a lot of mental energy. So I've been a little slow. <laughs> I usually pride myself on, on on sticking to my guns. And I I need to do what everyone needs to do. I need to write it out on my calendar. I need to write down my deadlines. And I was working on that today. And now that I have my deadlines in place, my individual mornings in which I work, which I usually schedule about two, two and a half hours for myself to do my fiction writing for the day. I'll do much better in those individual sessions because I'll have the the entire plan for how I'm going to write, edit, and publish the novel all written in a calendar that, while it doesn't force me to do it, it at least makes me feel guilty when I don't. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And you do you find that you follow your own deadlines pretty pretty well? I've done okay. Every so often I will have to change a deadline and I find that the deadlines I do well on are the ones that I'm excited about. Mm. If I have a deadline, oh, I'm going to write 20 freelance articles this week so that I can have some saved up for the next month and then focus on the things I enjoy, I will not do that deadline more than likely because the freelance is not something I enjoy as much as the fiction. Setting a fiction deadline, I know that I want to see what the heck I write in chapter 25. And so if I know that I have to write chapters 1 through 24 to get there, I'm a lot more likely to do it. Oh, okay. So it's good that you're still excited about your fiction. Yes. I, I And we, we said this off the air that sometimes writing is not exactly the most exciting thing for <laughs> us to be doing, uh, depending where we are in the process. But I so much enjoy writing my first draft copy. I, I love it dearly. Uh, and so when I can set that up for myself, it's a very... Uh, it's a cleansing process because it's just something that I get to really tap into my creative energy as well as I get to tap into skills that I've been developing uh, writing-wise for probably about seven years of, of semi-full-time, semi-full-time, that's not a thing, part-time to full-time <laughs> writing. And and then just the last year really pushing the fiction. It's awesome to get to get a little intellectual stuff in there and a bit of creativity yeah that's that sounds great do you um do you outline before you write or you just you're you a pantser i outline i am a converted pantser yeah i found uh, that i mean i had started and stopped about five novels before i finished the first one and the first one i finished was ted saves the world the first book in the series and the reason I finished it was because I outlined it. And I love outlining. I am kind of graduating to originally I would write my broad outline on pe- pencil and paper and then my specific outline of 
six to eight bullet points of everything that happens in each chapter. So my story beats, essentially. And I've now moved on to typing out my broad outline and I'll write by hand my um, my more specific outline. But I may even go more techie than that eventually and actually type those out. But uh, we'll see about that. But regardless... I outline, I love it, and I need it. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? I, I used to be a pantser as well, uh, seat of my pants, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't finish anything. And then I started outlining, and things are getting closer to being finished, <laughs> you know, because you, you know <laughs> yeah. where you are. The reason I ask is because you said that you want to know what you're going to write in, 25, in chapter 25. So I was wondering if you, I mean, you know what you're going to write in 25, but yeah. you don't know what you're going to write in 25. <laughs> so, yeah. I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's funny yeah, how those little sure. things can uh, can change your process and, and actually get you to to finish things. Yeah, it's great. I mean, sometimes a little tweak is all you need. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been reading uh, a little bit of young adult literature lately myself because um, mm-hmm. I've had uh, at least one other young adult author on the podcast and. I've come to I've just come to like it more and more, and I've read um, a bit of uh, Ted Saves the World, which is really it, it. It passes the test of, you know, you say I'm just going to read a chapter or two, and then you get through that chapter or two, and you have something else to do, and you're like, well, I'll just read the next chapter to see what happens, <laughs> right? So, so uh, it passes. It definitely passes that test for well, sure. That's awesome. Which I'm is exactly that. exactly what you want, right? Yeah. Um, well, my question is uh, just for for you personally, why uh, why why young adult? For me personally, it was it was sort of the I really enjoy young adult literature and young adult television. A big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I mean, everyone seems to all the nerds seem to love Joss Whedon, uh, and and I'm definitely one of the nerds in that respect. And so Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a big impact on me and. I mean, the title, Ted Saves the World, is essentially the same beats as the title, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a name that wouldn't normally be associated with a hero doing something that you wouldn't normally uh, see them doing. So Buffy slaying vampires and Ted saving the world. So it's very much drawn from that. But it's funny because I've read some YA, like I had read Hunger Games, I had uh, read, I think, the f- first half of Twilight before I stopped reading it. Um, <laughs> but I'm actually doing this show that I've been doing, a- a- another podcast called The Split uh, with uh, Robert Scanlon, and it's a young adult book review podcast for readers and writers. So we actually review the book, say if we liked it, and then we say what writers can learn from it. And so as a result of that show, I've read now, because I read one per week, I've read about 35 young adult novels in the last 35 weeks. And what I love about young adult is that you're more often than not, you're going to get a fast paced read that is an interesting world because in order to captivate a teen or a uh, 20-something, 30-something that reads young adult, I mean, you, you, you essentially need to be the angry birds of literature. You need to get someone's attention right away and keep it. It needs to pass that test that you mentioned, get you from chapter to chapter, because you're competing with so much. You're competing with apps. You're competing with games. You're competing with movies that now everyone can have really easy access to. So when you pick up a really good young adult read, it just really pulls you in and transports you. And you'll know that even if it's a little rough around the edges, at least it's only going to take a few hours here and there to finish it. (laughs) That's a good point. Your Ted Saves the World World Volume One. I, I discovered on my. I have a Kindle app on my um, on my tablet, and mm-hmm. it tells you the average time it takes to read. I don't know how yeah. 
Amazon computes this, but it said like four hours and 10 minutes or something like that. Okay. I didn't even know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't don't know if they do it by how long it takes people to read it or if it's just based on the number of words, you know, I'm sure that it's number of words. I would think so, but it'd be cool if it was like how long people actually take. Yeah. It's like, I have calculated, I'm I'm Amazon (laughs) here. I have calculated how many minutes it took every person to read Ted. That's right. And now I'm putting that into a formula. Yeah, and then it can compute your reading speed. And no, never mind, forget it. But um, I know. But algorithm. No, <laughs> right, algorithms. You're right, though, about about young adult. It, it, good young adult usually moves quickly, um, mm-hmm. and you know it usually has. You know, we we can always. Everyone can relate to the problems in a lot of young adult novels. Yeah. You know, the, like in, in your case, the uh, the kind of shy, not too confident boy you know who mm-hmm. gets you know who becomes confident let's put it that way right or yeah. you know the girl who's misunderstood and like everybody can relate to that stuff you know in exactly. some level or another exactly. and then the what they go through and you do a good job and i'm not giving anything away i don't think except for the first chapter of of starting ted saves the world with you know you you start with a pretty uh, attention grabbing scene you know yeah. at the end of chapter one you're like what's going on what who is this person how did this happen what world is this what is she yeah. gonna do you know and uh so it's and you're right because you're competing with all of the stuff you said but you're also competing with other books yeah yeah you know you're you're being a little spoiler phobic we can go into it i mean there's <laughs> a dead cheerleader that gets shot with a bolt of something from the sky and comes back to life. And uh, originally that was actually chapter two. It got switched, uh, uh, which was for the best. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've, I've learned. And, and that was the thing. It used to be chapter one introduced you to Ted, but I've learned now. And I continue to learn this as I read more young adult novels. You need that hook. Yeah. I mean, any, any novel. And, and that's the thing. You, if you learn how to write a good young adult novel, you can write a good any novel. Yes. Uh, it's not, you know, completely independent of one another. You need that strong hook. You need something that people will identify with quickly enough and, and that will make them look, we're, none of us are perfect. It, it'll make them, uh, stick through any issues you have going on that, typo that you forgot to fix on page 38 if they liked your hook enough they're willing to forego the typo yeah definitely definitely uh which is nice right yeah you do you start so there's a cheerleader who is is dead and buried who gets shot by a blue ray of light comes back alive gets discovered by the sheriff and then you have ted who's getting broken up with by his girlfriend these are the first couple chapters right yeah yeah exactly so right there you know and and you're right that you have to start. It's, it's like movies these days, especially like action movies. You ever notice they all start with an action scene now? Yep. You know, there's no character building. I mean, there's character building. Like you have character building, but it comes later. It comes after you get the hook, and, and mm-hmm. that makes that makes a lot of sense. So you need. I mean, uh, obviously, you have a movie. People aren't leaving the theater if it doesn't hook them right away. But they want. Right. They want to get. It's about emotion. You want the people to get in the mood to enjoy yeah. your movie. Uh, I mean, I Terminator Genesis came out recently. I haven't seen it, but I know some people who really liked it, and I think they were in the zone. They were excited to see a Terminator movie. They got in the right emotional frame for that. But then there's people who maybe look deeper into it and say, oh, well, they spoiled the plot twist in the trailers or something, Mm -hmm. and so they're already kind of not in the right mood. So I, I think emotion really comes into play, especially when you're doing the hook of your book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so you published TED Volume 1 last year in 2014, yep, right? Yep. I think it came out in July 2014. Yeah. July of 14. Now, we're in July of 15 right now, mm-hmm. and you said you're writing book five. That is correct. That's pretty fast yeah it's pretty fast it's definitely fast um and not all at, you can't see this i wasn't sure if we were going to be video or audio because i haven't seen your show because i'm a terrible guest but <laughs> um i uh i'm wearing my carpal tunnel wrist brace in fact i'm just gonna i'm gonna add some foley to this <laughs> um i'm taking it off because i'm not typing anything but 
I, uh, <clears throat> to prove that I was wearing a carpal tunnel wrist brace, I had to do that. But <laughs> I, I, uh, had to start wearing that after I wrote book three. I had this goal in mind of getting the third book out before the holidays at the end of 2014 or 2015 rather. No, 2014. Yeah, I forget what year it is. But <laughs> I tried to write it in seven weeks from rough draft to finished. And I was writing a lot per day and I wasn't taking care of my... When when I started to notice some numbness and not really soreness, but numbness, I uh, didn't do anything about it. So as a result, it got a little worse. And now the brace actually helps to stave off pretty much anything, but I have to wear it kind of constantly when I'm typing for it to not cause that problem. So, yes, I've written fast, but it was not without some personal injury. <laughs> it's a job job hazard, for sure. Exactly, right. exactly. People think writers have it so easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, come on now. <laughs> well, you write on a... Um, device that I had never heard of until you mentioned it last week on the Selmore Book Show. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's it called? It's called a Neo 2, but people uh, who are familiar with AlphaSmart or Dana, they're, they're, it's all the same company, essentially. It is a small, light keyboard that essentially has the capability of, say, a graphic calculator or something. It shows about four lines of text, and so you've got this little screen, and it doesn't hurt the eyes much. It's kind of almost e-ink, but it's not. Uh, it's kind of like calculator ink, whatever LCD. that is. And you can't do much on it other than type first draft copy. <laughs> and what I love about it is it takes about two seconds to turn on, and it automatically saves your stuff. And it can't connect to the internet. So it takes away all possible distractions if you're willing to go somewhere where you can't go on your computer. And it is fast and lends itself to you're sitting on the bus, you pull it out and type a little bit on there. It's 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 really easy and convenient. And it's old. Like, they don't even make it anymore. Uh, it was discontinued a couple of years ago. I was lucky enough to get one of the full-priced ones uh, <laughs> before they started popping up on eBay. But I knew as soon as I got this thing that it was it was going to help me. And I am like definitely afraid of it dying uh, at some point, like me dropping it. It's not going to die. It has like 500 hours of battery life on two double A's. Um, old technology is awesome. But I, I picked up another one off eBay in case the first one ever dies and they go out of completely unable to find anymore. So it's great. I recommend it for every writer. I am fascinated <laughs> by this. I <clears throat> I looked it up um, after you mentioned it and uh, all I found was used. So I figured they weren't making them anymore, but I'm going to pick one up for sure. That sounds like a such a good solution because a lot of, I mean, we all, a lot of writers struggle with the same thing that, that you and I struggle from, which is if you're typing on your computer, you've got the internet right there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, It's so easy to just say, well, let me check my Facebook or my sales numbers or whatever it might be. And next thing you know, an hour has gone by. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. We're all, no matter how much you've written, we're all uh, fighting our addictions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Every day it's a new it's a new struggle for sure. So um, yeah, I'm pretty fascinated by that. I'll put a, 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 in the show notes. I'll put a link to um, at least what it's called, so people can find it if they want to. But I yeah. think I'm going to check eBay and, and try to find one uh, myself because I think that's great. Because it goes back to what you said earlier about knowing yourself too. I think you know you know that you get distracted, and you yep. know that you might want to ride on the bus. And you're not going to yep. open your laptop on the bus and boot it up and start your word processor necessarily. But and I've can... done that, and it's mm-hmm. slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so have I. So have I. So <laughs> it's crazy. So cool. So so four books going on five in uh, in about a year. That's I mean, that's a, that's a good amount. And if readers want to read Ted to Save the World, it is free. The first volume is free on Amazon right now. Correct. Um, and I'm and I don't that... plan on 
taking it down for free. It's free everywhere, mm-hmm. and yep. you uh, can go check it out. And I, you know, I would love feedback, more feedback. It's funny. I think some people put their book out, maybe make it free, and they they they're like, okay, well, I'm I'm just going to concentrate on the next book and and book three, book four, but. You need to keep pushing the the first one. You need yeah. to keep getting feedback. I um, submitted the first chapter of TED to the Writership Podcast, which uh, essentially critiques indie fiction. And they read my stuff out loud, and, and they didn't, thankfully, they didn't tear it a new one, uh, <laughs> which they could, they certainly could have if they didn't like it. But... It got me thinking about things to work on, and, and I'm perfectly willing to go back and change some stuff in book one to make it better. I mean, I'm a better author now than I was uh, four books ago. Yeah. So, uh, but I think that you need to always keep pushing, keep trying to get more reviews on those kind of first books and and always be promoting it because that's that's where people find you. That's where people know about your stuff from and it's it's a good gateway you need to give them the gateway drug into your into your book catalog to get them addicted that's right yeah you have you have 150 reviews on on the first novel which is which is a lot that's uh yeah that's a lot of reviews um and good reviews. not enough for a book bub yet apparently not enough for a book bub well (laughs) that's why i'm shooting for 200 i'm shooting for 200 and then I'm going to reapply to BookBub because they okay. uh, they they haven't accepted me yet for that. I've been fortunate enough to get a couple of nonfiction ones accepted for BookBub, but uh, this is what I want. I want people to get in on TED. So yeah, absolutely. 150 is a lot, but I see what you mean going for two because you want to get on a BookBub so you can push book one, so you get people into books two, three, four, five, etc. Exactly. Which makes sense, and you have it available for paperback as well. I see, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, and on Audible, which is which is great, so people can choose however they want to consume it. Exactly, yeah. cool. Exactly, and the Audible version is pretty great. I got a guy with the same last name as me, Stephen J. Cohen, <laughs> and but there's no relation, and uh, he was really great. One of the reasons I. I chose him was because he seemed to get the situation. When you do a royalty share, which is what I did through the ACX platform, it means that if you make a sale, you split it. If he makes a sale, like if he gets someone to buy it, they split it. Mm. And so when you have that situation going and both people understand that system, both people are willing to push it uh, to come up with ideas to, to spread the word and 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 I think that's that's if you can't get you know the person the top person who's narrating all the YA books or something who you'll probably have to pay five grand for, then you get someone who at least understands what it means to be fifty fifty. Yeah, because he's a stakeholder as well. Exactly. Yeah, which makes exactly. a lot of sense. So you get more more promotion and and you know you split the royalties. I know there's some people don't like doing the royalty split. With the audiobooks, sure. some people want to pay up front. Um, I, I think, to me, it seems like a great way to go for, for the yeah. reason you said, is that you have somebody else prom- promoting your book, and you don't have to uh, pay up front. You know, there's, there's some risk, but not, I mean... There's risk, really. and the risk, <laughs> I feel like the most risk is on the narrator, because yeah. the narrator says, all right, well, I'm not getting paid for this unless mm-hmm. you get a stipend from Audible, which I was fortunate enough to do, and... Uh, if they like your book enough, Audible is willing to kick in a hundred bucks per finished hour to the narrator, which uh, I just pitched them on and said, "Yeah, I'm going to promote the heck out of the audiobook, so uh, please give me the stipend." Uh, and then you get more people who audition for you. But I bet you do. <laughs> uh, re- regardless, the narrator still is taking a pay cut. Yeah, even if they get the stipend, so. Their hope is that you sell a ton of books so that they break even and then make money off the off the project. So right. really, you as the author are not taking much of a risk. Right. So I, I think 
you know, it's but you risk your risk is it goes it sells like gangbusters and you make less money than you could have. But yeah, you make you, know, you still make a lot of money, but just less than you would have. Right. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not so bad. Not so bad. <laughs> that's not so bad as far as risks go. So, exactly. Yeah, that's that's cool. And the audio sounds good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really cool. A lot of people have liked it. I worked pretty hard with him to get a couple of the character accents right. It was no oh, cool. I probably did a little too much there, uh, <laughs> annoying him. But I think that we we got on the same page about it because I have my uh, Ted's ex girlfriend after Chapter Two, Natalie, mm-hmm. is um, I'm from the suburban Philly area and. Uh, the book is set in suburban Philadelphia, and I had her pegged as kind of a from a rougher part of the area, but still not very Philly because there are some uh, a very Philly accent. You're going to say stuff like water mm. and uh, really intense in there. But I saw her as one of those people who just kind of has like those five or six words where you hear them and you're like, oh, they're not from right here are they and that was a tough that's a tough thing that's a tough thing to balance but i had multiple people say oh wow uh steven really nailed that was exactly what i thought natalie would sound like and so i felt like he did a great job with that oh that's great good that's that's uh that's uh that's good right that's that's what you're looking for is exactly what you're looking for so you can't ask you can't ask for better than that for sure yeah, for sure. That's great. So so in between all this, so you're writing every day, I'm assuming, right? In the mornings, a couple hours a day. I day. don't always do every day. <laughs> Most days, right? You do the best you can. Yeah. And, and when, I'm, a- when I'm working on first draft copy for a book, I, I try to write Monday through Friday without fail, sometimes Saturday if I had a hiccup. Uh, but when I'm editing, I'm not writing in the morning. And when I'm... In between projects, I'm not necessarily writing in the morning. Because I, I feel like sometimes people say, like, yeah, I write 2,500 words a day without fail. And I think there are people who do that. Mm-hmm. And I also think there are people who do that, who don't do that, who say they do, uh, because they're not <laughs> writing in between projects. Right. And then people who aren't writing every day feel like crap. Well, I'm here yeah. to tell you that I don't write every day. When I write, I write a lot, but I don't write every day. So if you don't write every day, do not beat yourself up. Good advice. Good advice. I spend a lot of time beating myself up for not writing every day. Uh, yeah, me I too. Me I too. We, yeah. I think everyone yeah. <laughs> takes that turn. Yeah. Um, it's, it's good to be in the habit you know, of writing so, most of the time. Um, you know, if you go a month, you're going to, you might be in trouble. And the worst time for me is between projects where I just don't know what to do. <laughs> I feel weird, you know, I don't know what to mm-hmm. start, that sort of thing. Um, well, I try to put as little time in between projects as possible. Same. I go, yeah. when I did book books one through four, there was no, essentially no break. I did outline first draft beta reader notes, and I give I give my first draft directly to my beta readers without any kind of proofreading, and um, that's something that I don't think a lot of people do. But no. it speeds up my process considerably mm-hmm. because if I can give them part one after a week of writing and part two after two weeks of writing, when I've done my five weeks and written my first draft, it only takes another week for them to get it to me because they've had five weeks to read it. So that's my little tip there for speeding up the process. But I go from, then I go to editing and publishing and right after publishing is outlining again. And, and that's how I kept myself from delaying too much with those first four books. That's a good idea. Keep it, keep it going. How many, uh, how many beta readers do you have? About six or seven. Uh, Not all of them are, people who review review each one and I could stand to bring on a couple of more because I had some slackers for my prequel novella that I put out I think they weren't (laughs) as excited because it wasn't a full novel Um, but I the diehard betas I've had from the beginning are amazing really cool people who I've actually been friends with for a long time and so I feel no qualms sending them my 
word choice error ridden first drafts. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, <laughs> I ask everybody who uses beta readers how many they have and how they do it because I'm always interested in how because everybody's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And um, but most people say something similar. Not not many give the first draft, but I think most of the time with beta readers, people try to instruct them not to worry about the grammar or anything like that yeah. knowing that you'll yeah. fix it in editing is more about plot points and and uh things like that right like what doesn't yes. make sense or is confusing or whatever right exactly yeah i think i think that makes sense um and then that way you've got a constant process going yeah i like that i don't know if i'm brave enough to give anybody my first draft ever so i, I don't think Be I brave because <laughs> what i do with that i'm not looking for people to Say, hey, this line doesn't work. There's going to be a hundred lines that don't work in the first draft. What I'm looking for is, am I off base with this plot point? Am I? Is there a chapter that really falls down compared to the others? Is there something that took you out of the book? Mm-hmm. I want to nail that stuff as quickly as possible and then get it to my editor because I'm not at the point where writing a perfect novel is any kind of help to me. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not worth spending an extra month on that because the readers that I've found they don't care if it's perfect. They just care that it's exciting. Right. Right. So as long as it's exciting and nothing totally rips them out of the book, then they're on. Like I mean, I sent a I was just telling this to someone else. I sent an email to my list because I was delaying things a bit because I had written four novels in a row during four, three to two and a half month periods, and I needed to rest my hand a little bit. (laughs) And so I wrote a shorter novella, but I wanted to check, well, where are people in the series? And I mostly, 90% of the people who responded said, I finished book four and I'm waiting for book five. Send it now. (laughs) Wow. And uh, so I think that the people that I've found and that I've been lucky enough to find, and I mean, I sell better than some and and lower numbers than others. The people I've been able to find, they get into it and they're into the story. So as long as I can keep them hooked, it doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah. uh, There's that saying, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally believe and in that. I, yeah, I, I uh, have long been a somewhat of a perfectionist, and I've I've learned recently myself that that perfectionism is just a way of of procrastinating. <laughs> it's a way of not getting stuff done, you know. Yep. Because if you wait till it's perfect, you'll never ever ever let anybody see it. So I agree. It's, it's got to be good enough. And then the great thing about um, publishing eBooks is you can change you know small things later. You can mm-hmm. typos and stuff like that, and 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 that sort of thing. So yeah, that's good. So in addition to all this writing, you also have two podcasts, right? Yep. And you were doing it when you announced that you were going to do a daily YouTube channel back in uh, the beginning of the year. I, I thought yeah. I thought you were kind of crazy, and it turns out you've come to the same conclusion, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I did do it for a month and yeah. change, so uh-huh. I kept it up for a bit. But yeah, it was it was too much with all the other stuff, and I. It's funny. I I talked to Joanna Penn about it. I met her um, <coughs> during a conference a couple months back, and she said, "You know that YouTube channel was definitely an ego play. It it wasn't for your books. It oh. was because you <laughs> wanted to get out there and put your face out there." And <laughs> I I I pretty much agree with her. I think that uh, it maybe wasn't the best step for my career to put that time into it mm. especially because youtube takes so long to um to to get any kind of results and you need to be willing to do something every day for about six months wow. and then you make a decision as to whether it worked or not oh wow so that's tough that. that's interesting <laughs> that she called it an ego play man she just calls it like she sees it huh Joanna Penn doesn't mess around. <laughs> she doesn't mess around. But um, I looked at it a little differently. I thought you were kind of diversifying your um, uh, your kind of presence, I guess you could say, because I was thinking like like writing writing can be one aspect of what you do, and then videos and performing would be the other, and they all fall under the same umbrella, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I can totally see what she's saying too, because it doesn't connect to your books. It doesn't 
doesn't necessarily go anywhere else. Yeah, and I enjoyed it so much. You look like you're having I, fun. I had such a great time. I I, I miss it. I'd like to mm. go back to it if I ever have the uh, time. Yeah, I'll link to the I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes so people can can see what we're talking about. And you know, really short videos. Um, you know, quirky. You know, kind of in your personality. And, yep. Uh, you know, interesting. <laughs> and you know, I think um, I think the short video is nice. It's a good way to go. And like you said, you can start it back up when you want to. You can make it weekly at some point. You know, once you yeah. once you find the time, because it's hard to balance. It's hard to balance everything, no matter what you're doing. You know, whether you're working a full time job or you're trying to do all kinds of different things, and and like you know, with two podcasts and all the writing, and now your description writing business, it's got to be hard to to balance everything. It is. It is. Some days are more successful than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll bet. I'll bet. So the. <laughs> Um, I think my listeners are probably familiar with the Selmore Book Show uh, because I, I had Jim Kukrell on back, uh, I don't know, episode four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about it from time to time. So, And that's um, that's weekly, right? And you guys yes, do that's kind of news in the publishing world every week. Uh, and what's the um, and what's your, the other podcast? It's called The Split. Mm-hmm. And that's the young adult one. Yeah, and that's also weekly. And that's also weekly. Is that audio only, or is that video? We have video. We do have a YouTube channel. Okay. I can shoot you the link off the air cool. for that. But uh, um, most people listen to it. They they don't bother with the video. Yeah. I, I, that's how I am with most podcasts. If there's a video and an audio, I listen to the audio. I, don't, I very rarely... You know, watch video. Yeah, I don't even know how many listens we have. <laughs> Robert Robert takes a look at or how many views on YouTube. Robert yeah. knows that. I, I wouldn't know that. Gotcha. Um, and so that's and that's a substantial amount of time too because you're also reading an awful a week yeah. in, a, in addition yeah. to all that. Right. I do it all audiobook because living in a big city, I live in Chicago, there's a lot of uh, time on a bus, time on a train, and being married, there's a lot of chores. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I can fit those audio sessions in during the uh, transit or chores, it, it it's a good way to do it. But <clears throat> sadly, I haven't had a chance to listen to as many podcasts lately because I'm listening to a book every week. Right, right. Yeah, that makes, so that makes sense. That's the sacrifice I had to make. Yeah, you only have so much time, especially for listening. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. I've gone the other direction. I stopped listening to audiobooks because I'm listening to so many podcasts. So uh. <laughs> I got to find balance there. Have you found that uh, either or both of those podcasts um, do they have they translated into um, sales on Ted Saves the World or um, inspiration or like how do they cross over into your writing? Selmore Book Show doesn't get me too many Ted sales. I think it helps. I think I get a few people who are like, oh, I'll help out Brian. But I'm not necessarily hitting the target audience, which is young adults and people in their 30s who like reading fun, uh, peppy (laughs) action-adventure sci-fi. And so I don't think that necessarily translates over. If I'm going to get more people over, it would be with the split. But that that isn't as big uh, quite yet. But what I do get from those, Selmore Book Show, I learn every week something new, something new I can do, a, a better refined method for something I'm already doing. By applying that into my marketing and into what I'm doing, I am able to really improve the what I'm putting out there, the marketing face of my business as as a publisher. And with the split, I have learned so much about what connects best-selling young adult books together. A few hints, it's usually there's some kind of mystery bubbling under the surface. It's uh, fast-paced action. It is believable well-rounded 3 3D characters and it is some kind of awesome cool hook that makes you want to read all the way to the end. Okay, there's the formula, right? <laughs> That's basically the formula that I've picked up so far. Okay. The mystery thing I didn't I mean I knew that a lot of uh strong books have a mystery underneath, mm-hmm. but I mean look at it. It's like Harry Potter, you've got this mysterious 
why did he survive the uh the the curse in the beginning of the first book like you've got that it's like why does Dumbledore keep secrets from him uh in Divergent you have why uh Divergent sucks but um <laughs> in Divergent you've got the Triss is uh, this Divergent person why is she special like this and why um uh why are people hunting that down in Hunger Games you've got like why is the well, you've got lots of stuff in Hunger Games. I don't know how much you have the overriding mystery, but you have like what happened to District 13 and, and various mm. mysteries throughout. So I think that mystery is such a huge part, and it's not just in the mystery YA genre. It's every genre. If you have a mystery underneath, it's going to help carry the reader all the way to the end and want them to keep reading. Something where they're saying why or what happened or, you know, exactly. Want, want why is yep. the huge, the huge one right there. Why? Why is that happening? And they keep flipping. And they keep flipping. And then so the uh, so that podcast has helped you see that because you're just reading so many in such quick succession, basically. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. It's really helped me understand why that works. And then like little things here and there, like better fight scenes because I have fighting in mine and. Books like I Am Number Four and Red Rising are a couple that just blew me away hmm. fighting scene-wise. Red Rising blew me away just in general. That's probably one of the best YA sci-fi books I've read. Really? Uh, I've out never of heard 40. of it. Red, yeah, so Red good. Rising? Like the so color freaking red? good. Huh. Um, and the, the, it has all those elements that I mentioned, but the fight scenes, it's just like, brutal and realistic and emotional and compelling and it it really helps to helps me to step up my game because i know what people do to to step that up now that's great so yeah yeah, just just the fact of studying all that so what's in the future for you more young adult um is that is that kind of your your branding i've got this series once i finish ted well, I'm kind of in the middle of Ted. I'm starting work on another series that's uh, shorter books, but it's a young adult dystopia book, uh, young adult sci-fi dystopia that I'm working on. And it's going to have some of the elements of the uh, things I've learned go with the female protagonist, not the male, mm-hmm. even though Ted is pretty 50-50 split. Um, female protagonist, have the mystery, have the developed 3d character and i mean in my opinion i think having someone who's a little bit sarcastic and smarmy <laughs> tends to tends to get people more excited than the everyman and and people yeah. like ted but people who read my books read the ted series they like two characters they like uh sarcastic and sort of angry natalie yep and they like uh, money hungry and nerdy and funny Durage. Durage. I was wondering how you pronounce that. <laughs> Durage. Yeah, that, that, yeah, there you go. But uh, those are the people they love. Like, mm-hmm. I think they think the concept behind Erica as a character is cool and Ted getting powers they like. But those are the people they like. So it's made me realize, like, sure, I can have average Joes in there, but they shouldn't <laughs> be the main character. Right, right. Yeah, the quirky, the sarcastic, the kind of witty, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of thing. The um the people who are are not like the other people in the book as well. Yes. Right? Exactly. So now as you outline outline this new series, you'll be able to kind of incorporate that into your outline. Mm-hmm. And so book 1 of that will probably feel a lot different for you writing than book 1 of Ted Saves the World, I imagine. Yes, it's going to be hugely different. It's unlike Ted, which is third person past, it's either going to be first person, one perspective, past or present. I haven't decided. I'm debating. But a lot of YA right now is first person present. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, which I don't know if I like. There's a few that do it well. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of them, they don't use contractions. I'm like, what kind, what 15 year old girl says, I am 15. None of them. Right. They say, I'm 15. And when it's a full book of no contractions, it's like, 
just drives me crazy. That's weird. I, I never noticed that. That why would you do that? It's, it's not. I don't think it's in all of them. Right. But it's in a lot of these young adult dystopia or utopia female main character. Huh. Like it. Divergent is that. Um, I think matched is that. And this one I'm reading right now, Shatter Me, which I also don't like, uh, is <laughs> is it no contractions, and they're all like. These YA utopia or dystopias. I, I don't know. That's weird. It seems unnatural. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. So Divergent, the books are as bad as the movie? The movie's better. Oh, gosh. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, the movie at least is able to skip over some of the parts that don't make sense in the book. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, make sure that's not on my list then to read yeah. um, as far as that but goes. But that being said. Mm-hmm. I think you can learn a lot from reading a book that you don't like. True. True. Yeah, that's so. definitely true. What not to do, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Which is the other side of the coin for you, <laughs> which is, or the other end of the coin, as Jim would say, right? Yeah, um, the other hand <laughs> of the coin. Oh, um, Jim. <laughs> the, um, the other side of the coin is you're, you're learning what sells and what connects the good books. You, you know what what connects style wise to the good books you're also re- realizing what not to do and what what you don't respond to what you don't like so that's also good learning what to yeah. avoid yeah and when i learn more things that i like it gives me more colors to paint with yep yeah for sure that's great so um are there let's see how should i put this um are there questions that i should have asked you that i didn't well, I'd love to t- talk for another second about my book descriptions. Yes, please talk about that. Because we talked about it briefly. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, recently, a month ago, I started a, a description service called Best Page Forward, which can be located currently at com forward slash best page. Okay, and I'll I'm getting a, a better – I'm going to get a better URL for, okay. um, <laughs> without a slash in it, but – <laughs> uh, Simon Whistler actually gave me the idea, uh, which was very generous of him. And I decided to go full force with it. I, what I do is I get the existing description that an author has. And I also take into account their customer reviews. And I look through both of them and then develop my own new description that focuses on trying to sell more books, trying to sell more copies of that particular book. And there's a few different things I look at. And I just try to make sure that it's selling as much as it can. And I launched the service about a month ago, and I'm already very close to 100 book descriptions that people have ordered from me. Wow. And it's been very busy. <laughs> and I also do a, a – I was telling you, you off the air, I do a free Skype consultation, about 10 to 15 minutes for everyone who signs up. And so I've had a lot of writing and a lot of chatting on Skype in the last month. <laughs> and you're still open for more? Still open for more. haven't okay. gotten completely overwhelmed yet, although – I will be raising the price soon. It's currently $49 for each description. I'm raising the price soon, and I am also going to be bringing on some help because I've I've really uh, created a good system for how these work okay. to the point that I can get other authors to write a Brian Cohen-style description that I will, of course, vet at the end. Uh, after they've written it that's great and get a few more writers on board so that i can take on more because my goal with this i want to help more authors sell as many books as they can and i think descriptions people do great with covers now people do really great they're they're doing a great job with their look inside they're making sure that there's nothing but maybe a mailing list ad in the beginning and Mm -hmm. then it jumps right into the book people are doing great with that yep but but Mark Dawson did a survey of his 10,000-plus readers, and uh, 6% said that they came to his books through the, his covers, and over 25% came from his description. And I'm thinking to myself, looking at that, 
but most people spend $400 on their cover or <laughs> You know, yeah. two hundred to four hundred dollars, yeah. and then they write their description at one in the morning when they're trying to publish their book. Right. So there's a gap there that people are missing. Yeah, <laughs> and so people, that's what Best Page Forward is trying to cover. I think people think that because they wrote a novel, they can write a description, and writing descriptions is hard. It and is they, really hard, and they have to it do really hard. They have to do a particular job. They have to sell the book, which is different than telling a story. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 It is. It's it's an ad. It's an ad. It's an advertisement that Amazon gives you to put on your own book page. And if you don't know how to write an ad or you don't know how to write something punchy, and I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of freelance work. I've done ghostwriting for Forbes and Fast Company and Harvard Business Review and all these different places that require short punchy copy mm-hmm. and between that and writing descriptions for the 40 plus products that i have on amazon i've gotten pretty good at this stuff and i've also written a lot of i i for the split i rewrite the book description that the publishing company writes for the books because oh, usually do? they're not that good oh that's awesome and so i've done a 30 plus of those and and so with all of that combined i've gotten pretty good at these and i'm really excited to keep writing more for people that is uh fantastic it's a great sounds like a great service and and a much needed service i think yeah yeah I'm, i'm already getting a lot of great feedback from people who i've written it for and i i've gotta say i can't i can't 100 percent take credit for this but one person i wrote a description for an hour after they posted it, they got a book bub. Wow. That did happen. Did it happen because of me? Maybe not. Probably not. But still, <laughs> I can say that it happened. It was uh it, it was probably part of the part of the formula for sure. It could right? have been part of the formula. It had to have been. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. So uh best page forward. I will put a link in the show notes at ericmarshall.net slash wet. Um so people can click through to to your service as well uh, to awesome. to get book descriptions, that. and you do fiction and nonfiction descriptions. Yes, I do. Yes, Excellent. I do. I have one guy who's my second biggest client who has commissioned me for eleven nonfiction descriptions. Oh, there you go. Great. So great. I've done a bunch of them, and most of my books are nonfiction because of all the. We didn't even talk about my previous career as a creative writing prompts yeah yeah you have guy. a lot of, uh but but yeah. i've written a lot of nonfiction, so yeah, yeah, yeah you have i'm a lot pretty of, good with the nonfiction ones too yeah a lot of writing prompts books for different uh grade levels yes, right? yes. creative writing and things like that so i'll actually link to your author page on amazon as well so that people, yeah, can, people see. can go scroll <laughs> through all those yeah because we <laughs> talked mostly just about young adult but you do you have a lot of other stuff that you do uh we just kind of focus in on what you've been doing lately yeah, well the fiction's been more recent i haven't written yeah. a writing prompts book in a while so yeah cool um, I might actually, I'm about to buy one of your writing prompts books cause I'm, I, I teach writing, um, among other oh, things. Cool. And I have a, I have a, uh, right now over the summer, I have a girl who wants to just learn how to do creative writing and That's I've been okay. struggling to come up with ideas. I, I, now talking to you, I'm like, I'm totally going to buy at least one of your books. So I'm going to grab hey, the paper. Do back, it. I so. appreciate you're that. Get, yeah, you're about I to mean, get a sale. <laughs> I don't think enough kid. I don't think kids are writing enough and mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I think it gets taught enough in school. And I agree. so that was one of the reasons behind trying to write all of those and put them out. And they also, I mean, they sell pretty well. So yeah. I'm happy. I was happy to write them and I sell a lot. I sell, I price the workbooks real cheap. I probably make, less than a dollar off each one mm-hmm. um, because I just, I'm, I want a lot of people to get them. I want them to be in a lot of houses and yeah. get people writing and, and get kids writing. And so uh, that's been, that's been a very rewarding part of my, uh, of my publishing for sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one, that is wonderful. That's why I took this kid out. I'm like, how often do you see people who like kids who are, motivated enough to be like i want a tutor to help me write creatively <laughs> i'm like oh okay i'll do that you yeah know? yeah so, that's awesome yeah just because you like to see people motivated to do so so she's a sophomore i think 
Yeah, sophomore, tenth grader. So that's awesome. I didn't have that kind of motivation in tenth grade. That's uh, right. no, my motivations were different in tenth grade. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we probably had similar motivations. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably. Great. Uh, well, hey, thanks, awesome. thanks a lot for coming on to the show and being so generous with your with your time. Of course, I was happy to be on. It was great. It's always great to talk about this kind of stuff. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, so again, Brian Cohen on the wet podcast and you're it's briancohen.com is that correct correct and it's brian with a y brian with a y cohen with an h yeah <laughs> and i'll link to that in the show notes as well so um Thank again you. thanks for thanks for coming on very welcome Thank you for listening to The Wet Podcast. That was Brian Cohen. I'm Eric Marshall, your host. You can uh, leave reviews if you like on iTunes. Uh, That helps me become more visible in the iTunes ecosystem and get more listeners. I would really appreciate that. If if you'd like to contribute monetarily, you can go to uh, Patreon. I have a Patreon account. You can can find all of that at ericmarshall.net slash wet. And I also do Amazon affiliates, so if you go there, you can find the affiliate link and go shop at Amazon, and and uh, I get a little kickback from that. And I'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>